Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's investment and portfolio management team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to another episode of the Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever, and I'm a member of AAM's investment team. Today, as usual, I'll be speaking with Marco Bravo, who will provide AAM's latest views of the economy. Uh, And then I'll be joined by Mike Ashley, who will update us on the recent M&A activity in the rail space. So with that, welcome, Marco. Thanks, Pat. So there was plenty of economic data to chew on last week. Uh, Obviously, the week jobs report received the most attention, uh, but there was some really actually encouraging data uh, that supports the notion of a healthy economy as well. So uh, what's your take on all this information? What, What does it mean for growth in 2021? Sure. And you're right. A lot of positive news with respect to economic growth here in the U.S. Consensus among economists uh, continues to uh, move higher with respect to the GDP growth year over year. Currently, uh, that forecast has GDP growing by 7% on a year over year basis. That's about 0.8 percentage points better than last month's forecast. And I have to believe what economists are seeing uh, as more people uh, become vaccinated, as business closures, you know, there's a reduction in in business closures, uh, school closures and travel bans, uh, as more of the economy continues to reopen, along with the fiscal stimulus, consumers are flushed with cash. Uh, We believe they're going to spend that cash. It's going to be a main driver of growth. And... So we should see very healthy, strong GDP growth in 2021. Okay. Um, One of the items I think getting the most debate right now is inflation, be it in housing, uh, food, cars, uh, commodities. It's out there in a way we haven't seen in a while, for sure. Uh, Is it our view that this inflation is is permanent or do you think it's more temporary that's a great question and it's a question that many market participants and we have to believe the fed is also trying to deal with right now the fed believes the inflation pressures are are temporary and they're kind of looking through that when they think about fed policy and those inflation pressures are you know, coming from supply bottlenecks, which you would expect that as things begin to normalize and production comes online, that those supply bottlenecks should ease. Uh, We have seen a rise in commodity prices, and we think, you know, it's a question whether those those higher prices are sustainable. Uh, But at AEM, currently, we have the same view as the Fed. We believe that inflation pressures are real today, but they will be temporary. And the consensus has inflation at the end of the year running just above uh, 2%. And if 
the consensus is correct, uh, we don't think that's enough to force the Fed's hand to begin tightening monetary policy, you know, sooner rather than later. Okay. So the fact that we think inflation is is temporary sounds similar to what we believed the last time the economic committee met. Uh, if I recall, we also expected um, tapering to not begin until 2022 and, the, and a rate increase not to take place until 2023. Uh, is that still our view at this point? That's correct, Pat. And you, you mentioned earlier the, the April employment report was released on Friday, uh, came in well below expectations. We believe that that, at least for the time being, has removed any possibility that the Fed is going to begin discussions on tapering. And the labor market still has a, a long ways to go in order to meet their objective of a substantial progress towards full employment. So we continue to believe that the earliest that the Fed will begin tapering is 2022. There's a possibility that they may mention it at uh, uh, one of their meetings later this year, uh, but they actually implement it in 2022 and the first rate increase occurs in 2023. Okay. And then the last one I have for you, how does that affect our forecast for the uh, 10-year uh, rate at the end of 2021? We think 10-year yields uh, will end the year kind of in the 1.5% to 1.75% range, possibly near the higher end of that range. So we're, not, we're still on call. We're not calling for a significant move higher from current levels just given the um, the view that inflation is temporary, that we continue to see strong demand from foreign investors due to negative rates away from, from the U.S., uh, and that the Fed's going to remain dovish uh, for, uh, for, uh, for the time being. Okay. Marco, very helpful as usual. Thanks a lot for your time. You bet. Next up is Mike Ashley, who's going to update us on the topical rail industry. So welcome, Mike. Hey, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Uh, Mike is a senior analyst on our investment team and is responsible for a number of industrial sectors, including rails. So, Mike, uh, I think we have to start with Kansas City Southern. Uh, over the past nine months, it's been in the news a lot, particularly uh, in the last month. So maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about Kansas City Southern. What makes it so appealing and uh, gives an update on where it stands now? Yeah, for sure, Pat. Um, yeah, it's it's been in the news quite a bit. It is the smallest of the Class One rails by far, and in this sector, it's it's been difficult for um, consolidation. In fact, um, it hasn't happened in over twenty years. So. Uh, Kansas City Southern is, is sort of a gem in that it moves um, goods up from Mexico. They have a special um, relationship with the Mexican government, and they move um, goods across to the U.S. into southern in the southern U.S. and then up into Kansas City. So it's a high growth um, 
part of the sector, which is typically is not really high growth. Uh, rails are typically not high growth, but this actually is uh, it is up there. Um, there is, in, in sort of just a general um, comment, they're they're moving petroleum down south, and they're moving autos up north. So, given the cheap form of labor, um, people pay them to move their goods, parts down into Mexico. Uh, put them together and then ship them up to parts of the U.S. Um, and then up into Canada. So they are um, uh, sort of a gem, and a lot of people would love to 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 buy them. Um, and in the last month, Canadian Pacific has made a friendly offer for them that looked very attractive uh, until we saw Canadian Nat Canadian National Rail. Um, which is bigger, but another Canadian company come in and make an even better offer for them. So a bit of a, um, a bidding war, uh, but uh, strong multiples, uh, this you know, kind of a once in a lifetime type opportunity with uh, Kansas City Southern. So it's um, a sector where the regulatory part of it is pretty intense and um it, it for example we don't expect to have uh an answer as to from the regulators until mid 2022 or to second half of 2022 so okay and so let me ask awesome. you really quick uh, you know you mentioned all the consolidation in the space 20 years ago i mean there's right. going to be a lot of uh regulatory concerns so which of those two acquirers would have uh, an easier, uh, I guess, regulatory hurdle to, to get over? Yeah, good question. Uh, Canadian Pacific is the second to smallest of the class one rails with Kansas City being the smallest. A Canadian Nat is the third largest. So um, you're talking about Canadian Nat is twice as big as Canadian Pacific. And really when the regulators are, they're looking at several things, but one of the things is that they're looking at is just overall size of the transaction. Where's it gonna put it in the mix of class one rails? And then is, what kind of a merger is it? And in this case, it's an end-to-end -end merger, which means you're just extending the line of the two separate um, railroad companies. Yeah. And in the case of Canadian Pacific, there's really very small to no overlap of assets. So there's really um, the thing that they're focused on as well is just it's an enhanced competition or its competition stay the same. So based on this and then based on Canadian at having some overlap um, with Kansas City Southern and the mid part Midwest's southern part of the US, it's probably more likely that Canadian Pacific can get this get this deal done and pass through the, the uh, over the, get it over the regulatory hurdle uh, that they need to 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 uh, go forward in a transaction, just given smaller size, no overlap. And the fact that this they can make a pretty good case that this will enhance competition and not uh, uh, add to competition okay so take given, away competition. okay so so given that 
Canadian Net has the superior financial offer outstanding, do you think Canadian Pacific then comes back with another offer? Or uh... yeah, that's that's a good question as well. It's you kind of get into some gamemanship here mm-hmm. at this point. Um, Canadian Pacific has said, you know, pretty publicly, we're we're not going to be able to win in a bidding war with Canadian Nat. We just we don't have the fi- same fire firepower. Uh, we're not as big. We're just not going to be able to to get there if this is what this is going to be. Um, I think they're just taking advantage of the fact that um, the regulators are, you know, are going to okay their deal and probably, um, you know, add a lot of scrutiny to the Canadian NAT deal. Mm-hmm. And that they wouldn't, that deal might not even be able to get past the first hurdle, in which case they're the Canadian Pacific and KSU is the only one standing. Okay. And again, it is a friendly deal. Both boards have have been talking and you know voted on it and are comfortable with it. Where not that it's gotten um, uh, unfriendly with Canadian Nat. It's just that there needs to be some more uh, legwork done. You know, convincing shareholders and so on and so forth. Okay. So. Uh... Given our time constraints here, why don't we just um, focus on uh, a merger or an acquisition of Kansas City Southern by Canadian Pacific? Uh, okay. Wh- what do you think the timeline would be that it could be concluded? And, right. And what would you expect in terms of rating implications and any type of debt offerings? Sure. So in the case of a Canadian Pacific and, and Kansas City Southern deal, um, it's a higher cash offer. Um, we expect leverage to get to high three times, 3.8 times. Um, and they expect to refinance that bank debt in the market somewhere around $8.6 uh, billion of uh, new issue debt. So it'd be a sizable deal, especially for this industry mm-hmm. that is sort of an infrequent issuer. Uh, we expect that um, the ratings would end up um, somewhere mid triple B to high triple B at the end of the day. Um, you know, it, it provides a really strong strategic opportunity and sort of once in a lifetime opportunity and it just makes sense for them to uh, uh, to lever up in this kind of a situation. Okay. And, then, and then add on the backdrop of a, a growing economy and these opportunities um, cross borders, both in Canada and Mexico, and probably better political relations, relationship with the new administration versus the old one um just probably adds to the opportunities and, and growth prospects for the for cp uh ksu team up okay um let's take a step back here and look at the rail industry in general uh yeah it makes up a pretty decent slug of the bloomberg barclays it's one of the larger constituents out there uh it, 
Is there value in the sector right now? Are there any opportunities to take advantage of? What, what can you tell us about the sector? Yeah, it's, it is a, a, a traditional low beta, high quality sector. You, you buy names in this sector when you think spreads are going to widen. Um, so it'll, it'll outperform in that kind of environment. And when things are tightening, it's, it has a hard time keeping up um with with the index um you know we view it more like a sort of a single a type sector even though there are a lot of triple b rated uh many are, are triple b rated we, we view it like a single a um in terms of credit quality type of sector um there aren't really all the names and bonds are really kind of on top of each other mm-hmm. And it's fairly liquid, so it's it's hard to get really a good sense of relative value. But they're pretty. There's not a lot of diversification in terms of spreads within the sector. They're all five to ten basis points um, difference between each other, okay. and in some cases, hard to to even source. Just given you know four or five hundred million it size issues and. Uh, you know, there's some companies like BNSF that haven't issued a 10-year bond in, in quite a while. So um, just hard to find bonds, hard to really get a sense of what really is a, a good relative value opportunity. But um, at this point, we're, we're kind of an underweight. Um, you know, spreads have come in. There's just not a lot of, seems like, opportunity within different names. But we would really look forward to a large uh, debt deal. Um, you know, of eight billion or more would be would we would expect to come maybe a little bit cheap and that'd be a great opportunity when this kind of cross border crossing two borders type opportunity with the with the CP KSU. That's the one that that uh, emerges. Okay. Uh, let's wrap up with. Uh, the rail industry's ESG characteristics. That's something that every one of us has to focus on more now. Uh, they consume, the sector consumes a lot of diesel, but they are far more efficient than trucking uh, or other modes of transportation for that matter. So what can you tell us about how we view the sector's ESG risks? Right. Yeah, obviously a focus um and I guess if you just think about rails, you think it's um, of uh, pollution and black smoke coming out of the chimney or whatever. But uh, it, I guess you have to take it all in context of who are they competing against? And they're competing against their main competitors, trucks. So there's some stats about, you know, if, um, you know, rails can take trucks off the road, you, you come, you, you reduce the amount of highway congestion um, reduce the amount of emissions by taking these trucks off off the uh, the road, and then the roads don't get beat up as much. Um, those are just a few considerations that you have. We, we don't we don't see the risk from ESG as significant. Um, according to Sustain Analytics, it's a low to to medium type risk ratings for all the uh, investment grade rail names um and uh you know they are working on things like uh 
battery powered uh, locomotives and they're trying to utilize hydrogen as a way to to uh, um, power locomotives. I, I don't know how far away that is, but it's something that they're definitely looking at and considering uh, as this is a, you know, this is a long term industry. It's been around for, you know, hundreds of years, hundred years. It's going to be around for another hundred so, at least. So have so. you, have you, um, has that topic about hydrogen come up in recent conference calls just because Andy Bolin, our utilities analyst, and, and I'm the energy analyst here at AM, uh, we both have heard a lot about hydrogen fuel cells in our industries. Has the rail companies started talking about that more? No, it's been pretty, I'd say tight-lipped, but there's not a lot of uh, discussion and let's say a conference call about it. Okay. Uh, the, the, the discussion is more about these marketing tidbits of just getting trucks off off the road. Okay. Um, at this point, and I, I'm not sure how successful these electric locomotives and hydrogen fueled locomotives are. I don't know what stage they're at. They really, I don't really have a lot of details on that because I just don't. I think it's just the sort of the beginning of the process. And as of right now, it doesn't feel like they're getting pushed maybe as hard as let's say the auto industry is about moving to the next step. Okay. Right now, according to all these ESG sources, that's um, or the, at least the ones that I've looked at and read, that um, you know, it's a low risk for the for this industry. So they're they're getting these you know good scores um, so far. Okay. At some point, um, you know that probably heats up, and if if there's some cost effective way to trans to create a electric uh, locomotive, then I'm assuming that happens. Yeah, I think that's consistent with what Andy and I have heard uh, from our sectors as well, uh, that this is, it's a possibility, but it's likely not within the next, call it 10 years. Yeah, so. right. All right, Mike. Well, thanks a lot for your views on this. Uh, we'll look forward to that debt issuance you spoke of to see if we can't capitalize on it uh, in the next several quarters. Uh, we also thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you have any questions, please reach, reach out to your portfolio manager or our marketing team at aamcompany.com. During our next podcast, I'll be joined by Marco and another member of our investment team to discuss a timely issue affecting the fixed income markets. Thank you.